Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello. Before we start this episode of the MMA Fan Podcast, we need to tell you about our sponsor, Free Train. Free Train do these fantastic running vests for you to run in, hit the bag in and they keep your phone close to your chest. No more do you need to have your phone rumbling around in your pocket when you run or at an awkward angle on your arm. You can keep it on your chest with easy access to your phone whenever you go training. And uh, what can the people do, Stu, if they want to get a vest? Simple. Head over to www.freetrain.com. Have a look, see what you like. And when you pop it in the basket, just before you check out, pop in the code MMA fan save yourself 10%. I mean, don't ever let it be said we don't spoil you here on this podcast. www.freetrain.com. Go check them out. Excellent stuff. Right, on with the show. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Stu and Blake. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I am Blake Harrison and joining me over Zoom is... Uh, what happened to your voice then? Oh, I was doing some kind of weird thing, but like uh, you genuinely forgot your name for a second, didn't you? Age has <laughs> really hit home and Stu Whiffin has forgotten his own name and then he decided to be like, I can't remember my own name. What happened to your voice? Oh, honestly, I'll tell you what's interesting, right? Is, I mean, what we should point out as well, that this is what probably going to be about episode 20 of this. We've still never met. We've still never met. We've, never We've not actually... told you we've spoken about this. This is so weird. <laughs> this is really weird. People are going to be like, what do you mean you've never met? We've never met. I was on Stu's podcast. Uh, we got talking about, which was a music-based podcast, yeah. Off the Beat and Track. There you go. Free plug for you there. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, and then we started talking about MMA and spent more time talking about MMA than we did music. So, uh, and then that's how this podcast was born. We kind of got in touch and was like, do you fancy doing this? We were like, go on then. And uh, and a little, little bit later, we're, we're chatting to everyone from Cage Warriors and UFC champions. And it's got a bit mad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and one of the things that I, I mentioned that for was the fact that, although we've never met, you seem to have slipped quite easily into this thing that the people that I have met and been hanging around with for, for 10 years or so, taking the piss out of how old I am. I like the fact that you just <laughs> casually just got stuck into that. <laughs> well, you know, what am I supposed to do? It's going to be dead air if I just let you do it. I mean, you, you're forgetting your own name, Stu. Um, 
yeah. No, oh, dear. That's well, maybe that's why I feel like I can take the piss out of you because you're actually about six. Like, it's weird because I also, I've only ever seen you sat down. Okay. I've never seen you stood up. And you've told me you're six three. Yes. And there's a part of me that doesn't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I can't, he's not really six three. I'll take the piss out of him. Yeah. He's not six three. And I'll meet you and I'll be like, Oh shit, he's six three and he does tie boxing. I'm really, I'm actually quite scared now. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be so overwhelmingly polite when we actually meet. Oh my god, I've just realised the first time we're going to meet Ease. is probably at the Cage Warriors it will trilogy. Be. Yeah, it will be. So you, we're going to see each other. I'm going to realise you're six foot three, mm. and then we're going to watch loads of people lumping each other, yeah. and then you're going to look at me and go. Yeah, I'm going to take you down in a minute. <laughs> oh, I would have had maybe a couple of beers. The testosterone would be through the roof. Let's go! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's fitting that we're talking about that trilogy because, oh, I mean, we've got Mr. President. We've got the boss man. Mr. President. That's it. We've got Graham Boylan. I love it. Uh, I really want to call him Mr. President all the time. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing that we've got him on because what a unique interesting Mm. insight into the world of MMA. You know, he's seen it from a grassroots level all the way up to being Mr. President and being, you know, know, the the guy that runs runs Cage Warriors. I mean, and and their interesting relationship with the UFC, the fact that, you know, if you're a European fighter, Cage Warriors is the place to be because it's from there that you have the best pathway into the UFC. And, uh, And Graham's a great chat, really good, nice guy. And as we said, like, unique and interesting insights that you won't want to miss. Yeah, massively. We we you know, we 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 talk about that relationship with the UFC. We talk about you be uh, it's stunning when you find out just how many fighters have signed to the UFC through Cage Warriors. It's a big number. Uh and then when you I mean when we was prepping to to do this interview, you start looking at them names and you think, "Oh my god, this is this is absolutely incredible." We talk about it, what you get is a real snapshot. Uh, as to what goes on to make these events happen, and and yeah, he uh, he's got some serious stories, and uh, and we get a few, we get a few of them on this episode. So you're in for a treat. Um, just quickly, if this is your first time listening, um, when you get to the end of this episode with Graham, go and check um, some of the other uh, episodes we've done. There's there's a whole run of them for the the Cage Warriors trilogy, uh, and there's some huge names uh, that we've spoken to from the UFC, from Bellator and and some people that you're going to recognise uh, from your television um, that we've had come and do the, the Fight or Flight episode. So go check out the back catalogue. But right now, should we get on with uh, today's episode? We should. We should also mention that obviously this is part of the Cage Warriors trilogy uh, set of episodes that we've been doing. Cage Warriors trilogy starts on the 24th of June uh then there's another card on the 25th of june and then it all finishes on the 26th of june uh 24th of june season of tires frederick takes on take on matt bonifer the middleweight belt we've chatted to matt recently you could probably go and listen to that episode rg sadari versus joe mcolgan for the lightweight belt is on the uh 25th of june and then the trilogy finishes up with ian gary who we've had on the show and jack grant uh, fighting for the vacant welterweight belt. So there's title fights on all three of those cards. It's going to be really exciting. But for now, let's get on with the show. And here's Mr. President, Graham Boylan. 
Sorry again, guys. We're going to briefly interrupt the podcast to tell you about a new movie called Embattled. Embattled is starring Stephen Dorff. It's written by David McKenna, who wrote American History X and Blow. Uh, you will also see cameos from Tyrone Woodley and Kenny Florian in this film. And it's the story of a tumultuous relationship between a father and his son. And did I mention that both father and son are MMA fighters? So... This could be right up your street. It's available from the 5th of July on digital download. Check it out. Hello and welcome, Graham Boylan. How are you doing? I'm very good, man. I'm very good. We're, uh, we've got a rainy day in California for once. So what? it's uh, 9.30 in the morning and it's pissing rain outside. It reminds me of back home. Oh, man. Well, it's, it's, it's sunny here in the south of England, mate. So you've, you've made the wrong choice there, haven't you? Um, yeah, I'm going to rectify it. I'll rectify it Wednesday when I fly back. Oh, lovely, <laughs> lovely. How's how's life in California? Other than the rain? Other than the rain is good. We're um, we're in the middle of setting up Cage Warriors California, and we'll be doing our debut show here, an outdoor event on a lovely waterfront, all the yachts in the background, pretty exclusive. It's going to be um, about a seven hundred strong crowd wow we've had over three thousand pre-sale registration for 700 tickets wow, wow man that sounds so we're exciting gonna, yeah we're gonna make we're gonna make that debut for the first time ever outdoor as well so we're gonna crash onto live tv with the sunset hopefully lovely. Get lovely. brilliant it's like the new they're like the and, new um, fight yeah that's august 1st like the new uh fight island if you've got all like the boats in the harbour in the background it'd be like one of those kind of street fighter backdrops or something like that you know <laughs> we, we we came this close it actually is an island that it's on really it's called Shel- it's called it's called shelter island and um i toyed with the idea of saying cage warriors had their fight island but it's got this one strip of road that leads you to the island so even though it is an island, it's got a strip of road to it, so we can get away with it. Oh, but do you know what? I think that sounds pretty cool. Like that, you could make a big feature out of that, the big dro- drone shot of the cars coming down to the fight island. I think that's how it works. That's really good. It could have worked, yeah. yeah. So we've, we've, got some, we've got some drone shots lined up, and we've got a, a nice tall boom that's going to, um, or the rig is going to come in and take all those overhead shots while the yachts and the ocean and hopefully we crash onto live tv for the main character just as the sunset so if we get our time in the it's going to look spectacular that sounds perfect i mean normally we would start this show by going back and talk about how you got into to mma and we do want to do that but you've you've just mentioned that the, the the california and the san diego card and all that and, and i heard an interview with you uh, recently and i want you to clear something up for me because if i've got it right it sounds very exciting that you're setting up like a kind of is it, is it like a cage warriors gym or, or or team or something in California, and that team will will not fight like any each other, and they'll be fighting like cage warriors Europe fighters or other fighters from the United States. Can you clear that up for me? Because it, it sounded like yes, like yeah, like really exciting thing, like factions in the old like WWF when I used to watch <laughs> that back in the day. Which I you know, yeah. it, and there's storylines in that you can get really involved in that. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah. You can get proper sucked in, man. So what, what we're going to do is we're going to get this first event done August, August 1st in, uh, in, San, in San Diego. And then we're going to look to do maybe four to six shows in the state of California over the next year. So we, we move, we 
San Diego would be the, the home of Cage Warriors, but we'd move up, up and down the state over other shows. The idea behind it is we create a California roster. And that California roster won't fight each other once it's settled. And once we have that roster, it will only be the Californian team fighting against the rest of the states and the European fighters. So we'll create that little roster of Europe versus California, California versus the rest of the states. And that, that'll probably kick in sometime in the new year. We need to get these two shows, these two shows done. So we're going to do um, August and October. We'll pick the guys that we need out of, that, um, out of those cards form that team and then um, take it from there and just let it go. Oh, that sounds so great because I'm already like going to, well, I'm, to, I'm, I'm team like European cage warriors. I want to see them do that. But that. And that's what you want. That's that added added thing, isn't it? Because like we all have our favourite yeah. fighters or the person that we gravitate towards and stuff. But having someone where you go, like, like I've done it with the ultimate fighter before. I've, I've watched the ultimate fighter and gone, oh, well, I know that person. I've seen them fight in the house. I liked their personality. So then when they go and fight maybe a UFC fighter that I, I don't know, I know who I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for the guy that I saw in the Ultimate yeah. Fighter. And by doing what you're doing, you're going, oh, pick your team. Pick, I mean, if you, have yeah. a, if you can gravitate towards one fighter, great, well done. But if you don't know the fighters, just pick your team and you're already rooting for someone. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see the fans interact between them. You're going to get U.S. fans. You're going to get European fans. There's obviously a mad language barrier in between. Yeah. <laughs> in between. Even though it's there's a mad cultural and localization barrier of uh, accents and talk and trash talk and local slang. And it's, it's going to be funny, man. But above all, it's going to be amazing fights. Brilliant. Before we go back... Just talking about all the stuff that you've just mentioned there and, you know, this all comes with kind of sponsorship deals and TV deals and things like that. What's, what's an average day for Graham Boylan? Oh, shit. There's, there's, a, there's a question. Yeah. <laughs> so I work... <laughs> I work... Um, when I'm in California... So I live in California now. When, when I'm in California, um, I'm up on... I catch the afternoon of London. So I'm up at my desk at probably, I don't know, six o'clock, yeah? Um, I get the initial emergency stuff out of the way by 7 a.m. of things that uh, people need to get hold of me because of time zone, I've been asleep, they've been asleep. So I'll get the urgent stuff in the first hour done, and then I'll take the pop out for a run. Take him for a run for about 30 minutes, get back, and I'm back at my desk for, I don't know, two, three hours, and then I'll drop everything and go training. Um, we train jiu-jitsu, we do boxing, um, mainly lunchtimes, midday. And then I come back and finish off what the rest of the day has been left when everybody has to sleep in London. I get the afternoon. So the time zone in itself works fantastic for me because I get lots done in the afternoon when everyone's asleep and I can have stuff ready for people to wake up too. But then when I wake up first thing in the morning, sometimes things have kicked off or someone's got injured or we've lost a fight or we've got to replace it it can be mayhem to wake up to in our first hour. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, that, that, in, in short, that, that, that's the average day, in short. Well, let's, let, let's go back. And, and as, as Blake sort of uh, mentioned, how did you find yourself in the world of combat sports? How did it all come about? Complete and utter accident. <laughs> I, 
I was boxing. Um, I was a strength conditioning coach and, and boxing with a lot of the a lot of pro guys in London at the time when I got bored of the whole boxing side of things and what was going on. Um, so I started training uh, with a guy called Paul Hines, who was um, an MMA coach back in 2007. Um, that's when the UFC was probably every three months. I think they were just breaking into doing every two months around that time. So you were left proper hungry waiting mm. for it to come back on when there was that much of a gap. Um, so I started training with him. And uh, we realized, like, quite quickly, I realized by training with him that there was no way for anyone to train to, to get the um, cage time and there was no cages for people to train in octagons, as we would refer to the word. No, no one likes the word cage anymore. Um, but there was no octagons around for anyone to train. So I said to the guys, look, um, I'll get a building. I'll put an octagon in it. I'll do my strength conditioning clients and coaching inside there, my boxing clients. We can do uh, our MMA training in there. And then in the evenings, you guys can open up to the public. And if you can do, you know, three or four evenings a week and get me some money back, then I'll cover the deficit on the rent on that building. Um, and that was in 2009, I believe. And uh, it was supposed to be three nights a week. They would, they would um, do MMA sessions. And within six months, we were waiting this. We had over 200 members in the waiting list. Wow. And that gym went from supposed to be running three nights a week to 10 sessions a day, six days a week. Wow. And that was in 2009. Wow. Um, so then came a second gym and a third gym. Um, I never got to train anymore because I ended up running the business. Everyone said, oh, you're running up in the back office and soon. I'm like, go fuck yourself. I ain't going to <laughs> And uh, <laughs> they were right, man. They were right. They had more knowledge than me at the time. Um, so I ended up going down the business side of things and running the gym and, and giving all these guys a platform to actually make a living out of coaching uh, because you weren't making a living out of coaching MMA or coaching anything back in 2009. You were looking to get a, a, a wage or some kind of bills covered to be able to work in combat sports. Um, we did a gym, we started creating clients and teams for, for, for guys to train. They started making a living out of it. And then out of nowhere, we had a phone call asking if I could meet up with certain people um, that were interested in the gym. Um, that didn't transpire, but then they came back to me and asked me when I get involved in the purchase of an organization that they wanted to buy. So I said, sure. And long story short, I became a consultant for them. Um, on the purchase of Cage Warriors, which was a, um, a dormant organization at the time. It had a great name. There was no fighters, no TV. Uh, the website had history. It had been going since 2002. So it was an eight-year-old promotion that had gone dead. Um, we ended up getting the deal done. I think it took about six to eight months. That deal was done. And the day the deal was done, they, they sprung it on me that they wanted me to step in and rebuild the entire organization. Um, I said, no, I've got my gyms and I've got my guys that I'm working with. We're, we're building gyms and building teams, but they were persistent. And six months later, they managed to persuade me to take the job. So we took the job on in 2010. Um, no TV, no fighters, just a website. A couple of cardboard boxes of absolute shite. 
<laughs> that came that came with the purchase of the of the uh, of the company, um, and an amazing matchmaker in the name of Ian Dean, who's still with me today. And uh, yeah, we built it from there. We built it all the way up to where it is today. Amazing. We, we've seen. You know, there's there's been many many organisations that have come and gone, and and you know, hundreds of sort of like smaller local organisations that put on events and things like that. Have you always had a strong sense of confidence and and drive? Yeah, yeah. I think um, when when we started, like I'm I'm a I'm a qualified plumber and gas fitter, so <laughs> I've spent I've spent ten years up at five a.m. going to building sites. You know, on a building site all day, every day, going home, covered in dirt and um, understood and, and lived what a hard base graft is, you know. So when we got the opportunity to actually switch that around and get paid and make a living from being in the gym uh, and training people and having fun, that changed all perspective in we wanted to develop this more, you know, we didn't want to lose what we had. So there were guys who we took into that gym who had full-time jobs and they were training people at nighttime. And it slowly over time got to the point where we said, give your job up, come here and work. You don't need to be getting up to a full-time job anymore. Come here and work, come and hang up the gym, you know? So effectively we got our schoolyard. We got the schoolyard in the gym and yeah. everyone training, everybody getting paid. Everybody making a living, covering their bills. We won't get rich. We won't buying Ferraris and Porsches. We were paying our bills, and yeah. you know, we were training and doing something we love. So that 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 made the drive even bigger. Um, and then from there, it's a case of you didn't get into a comp. You get into your competitive side. You're a natural competitor, so then that comes in. Then you see other organizations doing things, and you're like, we can do that better. So then you start competing against your competitors in, within your industry, and then that drive gets into you. And then it's like it turns into just like this mad competitive thing where you just want to get bigger and grow and bigger and get grown. And the way you're talking about teams, we look at organizations the same way, you know? We, we have not, we have not a bad word to say about anybody, but we will compete against you because we want to be the best. We want to create the best platform for our guys to compete on. We want them to have the best circumstances and atmosphere around them to get them going, to show the world what they're capable of for training four to six hours a day, five days a week. You know, we want the eyes on them. We want the exposure on them. We want to do everything for them. And, and I think that's shown over 10 years. You know, we've, the organization has done 104 athletes into the UFC. You know, and we get behind every one of them. That's what we do. I, I was going to ask you uh, at one point, like, kind of, what, what, why is it that you, because I've, I've heard from people that, you know, one of the, the great things about you as, uh, president of Cage Warriors is that you know you're not interested in holding anyone back for your own organization you're aware of what these fighters dreams are and 99 times out of 100 it's to make it to the UFC and you seem to facilitate that really openly and, and do what you can to help these fighters and it sounds like because you've not only had a history within combat sports at kind of that grassroots level but also you know, as you said, you know what a hard day's graft is. You've worked at a plum- as a plumber and all that stuff. And so you're not standing in the way of anyone's dreams for the benefit of, of, of cage warriors or anything. You are going, yes, how can we help you achieve your dreams and get you to the UFC? How, how important is that for you to, to showcase that and show that, you know, you're the place for European fighters to come 
uh, as a great uh, way to, to hone your craft before making it to the UFC. And also, can you tell us a little bit about where that relationship with the UFC came from? How did that come about? Because you do seem to have a, a fantastic relationship with them. Yeah. So we, we always knew our place in the chain. Yeah. Um, and we were sensible enough to understand that regardless of how great a show we did and regardless of how big the numbers are that we're watching and how many guys we had signed to the UFC, we were very aware and level-headed in the sense that unlike other organizations that may well do three or four shows and start telling the world they're the greatest thing ever and they're going to take on the UFC, we were very level-headed in what we did. We knew our place in the pecking order. We knew what our job is, was and is in this industry. Right now, and who knows what happens in years to come, but right now, our job is to create the athletes that will go on to do huge things in the sport. And the fact that we're mentally settled in that, we know our place in the chain, that's the reason for our success. We, we don't feel we're going to take on or, or challenge anyone in, in that sense. So for them to go on and do big things in the UFC, we celebrate that because you've got a guy here who's, I'm not corporate, right? I, I didn't rock up in a suit and take over the business side there. I was in MMA shorts, a T-shirt, a tracksuit. I, I was on the mats with the guys I was in the boxing gloves with these guys. Um, I watched them cry in the gym. I watched them get injured in the gym. I've been injured with them in the gym. They've injured me. I've been there. I've done it. You know, and it's like I'm not the guy in the suit that says we're going to do this and, and that's the end of it because we're doing it for the business. We put the fighters first because my thinking was always the guys on the mat first. The guys I put my armor on at the end of a, a tough session. Um, you know, so my attitude has always been give them the best possible platform we can. Now, it's the fight game as well, and you can't please everybody. So there, there are times when you've got to run the organization in a way that it's perfect for everybody, it gives everybody what they need, but there are times when you just have to say no because some of the requests that come in, you just can't be with them. You can't say yes to every person and every fighter that's on the card. So... I say to the guys in the office all the time, it's the fight game. You're going to end up fighting everybody, whether you're in the octagon or outside the octagon. That's just the industry we're in. There's going to be fights. There's going to be competitiveness. You're going to have to fight back. And sometimes you're going to have to show your teeth and sometimes you happily just have love hearts and hugs. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. Um, but yeah, so with the UFC, that relationship really started to blossom around 20, I think around 2016. Um, we took a bit of a hiatus. I, I, I was involved in the organization for a long time, doing six, seven days a week. Uh, the previous owners decided they were stepping back a little. I resigned as CEO. There was a six-month hiatus there. Nothing happened. They didn't do anything. Um, and it just so happened I ended up taking over the intellectual property rights of the organization. And the UFC, uh, contacted the UFC and picked the phone up to me at the same time saying, what's going on? You know, the... The, the roster as such to pick prospects from wasn't getting developed as much as it was when we were in full swing. Um, and they had asked me what my plans were. And I said, look, I'm just 
taking over the intellectual property rights of Cage Warriors. I'm considering putting everything back into play. Um, so, yeah, so I was asked to start parity and come back and start doing shows. Well, that's a massive <laughs> vote of confidence, isn't it? For them to get in touch with you and say, yeah. oh, you know, what you were doing was really working for us. And now that you're not doing it anymore, we we can see a, a, a lack of development, or as you say, that they're not as good a roster. That that's a huge vote of confidence for you. That must have given you, I don't, I don't know, maybe maybe you were already already had you know that that drive to always do your best and stuff. But I know with me, like that kind of praise, that little boost of confidence, it just I, I think it makes you work that little bit harder. It makes you go, oh, I want to um, show you that your your faith in me is 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 right, you know. Yeah, a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Stay here. Um, and it was the case of, I think there were, I think after years and years of doing what we did, it was, it was kind of what we wanted there. It was becoming pretty obvious the prospect, the, the prospects to pick from weren't really. It's like I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the cycle is two years, right? You get a, you get a couple of guys, you develop them, they go through that cycle of five, six fights, and every two years there's usually a, a signing spree of maybe, I don't know, eight to ten guys come out of Europe on the one side. And once they go, they, they've been like, they've been the top of the chain in Europe. So once they go, we're back to that cycle, you know, we're back to the start. So now we're looking at the guys who were three, four and all in their career. Now we're building them. And then that two-year cycle comes again. Those guys who were two and three, four and all are now eight, nine, ten and all. And now they're, they're the next ones in that crop. So when we, when we, when I had resigned, um, I had spoken to at the time Joseph, the matchmaker, who is um, now gone from the sport and head of the matchmaker. He was. He was part of the UFC for years and, and Sean. I, I gave them the heads up. I said, guys, I'm going to be stepping back for a while. But I would suggest you sign. I gave them a list of guys. I said, this is your crop next. Um, that crop went in. And after that, there wasn't really a crop following. Um, I think it, I think a lot of people, not, not just um, the UFC in general, but I think the industry as a whole um, and, and the people who watch these things, they were probably seeing that if something didn't happen in Europe soon and people started to develop, started to develop the talent, 
and get that back rolling, that six months that I was gone, that could have turned into two years by the time mm. that happened. And then it was the guys who are at the start of that next crop coming through that two-year cycle. They were the ones I was suffering. So a lot of them went forward in other organizations, smaller shows, community halls, to, you know, to keep that, to keep their record and their career going to get to that stage to get picked. So, um, and you hear a lot now on, on, on UFC commentary that talks about the importance of other organizations in certain territories where they have to have the likes of cage wars. They have to have the likes of other organizations in, in cities because it's great to have all of these guys, but these guys have to come from somewhere, you know? Like, you go back to the Conor McGregor signing with the UFC, I think that was, what, 2014? Could have been 2013. Yeah. It's, it's all rolling to one for me now. But at that time, I think Dana thought Conor just fell from the sky. You know, <laughs> because there was no mention of, of Cage Warriors or there was no mention of his career or back then, it just kind of wasn't a thing. You know, and the sport was still developing and I think the guys at the top of the UFC were still very UFC-orientated and over time, they started to understand that they need the likes of Cage Warriors to develop these guys. Um, and yeah, Conor being a prime example. You know, there was so much talk about Conor, but it took a year or so before people started talking about where Conor came from. Yeah. You know, he didn't fall from the sky. He just come down from heaven with a pair of UFC gloves on and a pair of UFC shorts and beat, beat the shit out of everybody. <laughs> he developed his craft with James Warren. That's where he came from, you know? So, um, and I think o- over time as the sports developed, that's getting recognition and, that, and that, that's starting to be understood. Um, well, you know, still a 20-year-old sport to be. Um- um, you've mentioned Connor there, and when when you said you you, you come back in two thousand and sixteen, uh, I imagine at this point the Conor McGregor effect had, had taken hold, and everybody on the planet was aware of who he was. How did that? How did that? What changes did you see that see come from that? Insofar as attendance for MMA events in general, uh, and also young lads getting involved and young ladies getting involved. Yeah. Connor took the sport to a different level in terms of eyeballs. You know, that, that is just, that, that is a, the Connor mania as such. You had, there was pivotal points in the sport. I believe anyway, and everyone's going to have their own personal opinions. Okay. But my, my humble opinion of this is there was pivotal points in the sport um, over the years, one of them was the um, Forrest Griffin fighter, the ultimate fighter. Yeah, that's a pivotal point in the sport. I think the Ronda Rousey was a pivotal point in the sport, and Connor. I think they, 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 those three, those three things for me stand out as the game-changing, leveled up, leveled up, leveled up for MMA as a whole. Um, when we came back in 2016, it was different because there was a lot more interest. There was a lot more people knew about the sport because of Connor. Um, there was more clubs that popped up. But, you know, with, with all that attention and all that limelight, there was also a lot of crap that popped up that we had to deal with. All of a sudden, we had to deal with a lot of Facebook managers. We had to deal with a lot of... And when I say Facebook managers, um, I'm talking about guys who manage fighters who open up a Facebook account and just decide to call themselves a manager. We had to deal with a lot of that <laughs> to actually get fights on. Uh, so it brought a lot of 
bought a lot of garbage that we had to find our way through too. Um, but it definitely lifted the sport to a whole new level. And our shows went from being heavily male attended previously to a 50-50 high-end dressy night out, respectful, classy, high-end events. You know, our events are there a party night. The shows are there. There's a great DJ there. In between the fights, people are dancing. You know, it's... You're going to see some of the shows in the O2, the Indigo, the atmosphere is going to be better. Of all the fighters, um, I mean, you, you mentioned there was over 100 fighters that had signed to the UFC. Who was the first fighter that you, you signed to the UFC, Graham? I think the first one might have oof, gone all the way back there. I think it might have been Phil Harris. I think he fought at 125. Um, I believe it would have been Phil. It would have been the first one I personally signed. Um, and then I think from there, I think uh, Rosie Sexton would have been the next one I would have got in. Dr. Rosie Sexton. Um, she would have been the next one in. And then uh, Neil Seary might have been the next. No, he wouldn't. He would have been... Max Nielsen might have been the next one there. We're going back now. We're going back a good eight, nine years. Um, but prior to that, you'd have the likes of with the previous owners of Cage Warriors. Um, you'd have the likes of Ross Pearson, Dan Hardy, Andre Winner, um, and a, a whole bunch of other guys of that scene. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, it's been a long road. There's, there's some big names. There. And one of the things that I did see um, was uh, Cage Warriors 114 was the first event that was officially approved by the government. What, what did that involve and how did that happen? It involved a lot of headaches, a lot of red tape, <laughs> a lot of paperwork and a lot of BS. Um, yeah, so that, that was a case of, you know, we're, we're, a, we're, a, we're, a, we're a strong TV platform. Um, I believe we've got the, one of the biggest TV platforms outside of the UFC for mixed martial arts in terms of uh, global footprint. And during COVID, um, I think it was March 20th when it first kicked off. We were actually in Manchester. Um, we had a show uh, scheduled. That show, March 20th, 2020, was scheduled for the O2 in London. And they called us a week before. Everybody was giving us pressure to stop the show, stop this, cancel it. Because it was the start of the pandemic. It was the start of COVID. No one knew really what was going on. And my attitude towards this was... As long as the venue tell us we can do the show and my medical team tell me it's safe to do so, the show is going ahead. Um, if you know anything about me, I don't bottle into peer pressure. So it's kind of, we're doing this and we're marching forward and getting the show done. And that went on for about three or four weeks. I was getting ridiculed by journalists and getting attacked on social media, cancel the show, cancel this, it's not right, blah, blah, blah. So in the end, the venue contacted me, um, I think it was 10 days out, and said, we're giving you a heads up. You've got one hour. <clears throat> you will not be able to do your show on March the 20th at the O2 Arena. The press release is going out. AEG are closing all arenas globally. I was like, fuck, this shit's real, man. This, this, this pandemic's actually going to happen. So I called my medical team. I'm like, 
all the venues around the world are closed and people are canceling left, right, and center. There isn't a live sporting event left. We're the last thing scheduled globally on March 20th as a live sporting event. I said, what do I do? Is it safe to do this? And they just said to me, 100%, we do all the tests that the, the government are putting in place. You can go ahead with your show. I said, fine. I got 50 minutes to find a venue before AEG put this press release out. <laughs> I cancel the show and everyone thinks it's done. So I've got three phones on the desk popping, calling everybody I know to stop venues. I'm like, fuck, this is like 5.30 on a Thursday evening or a Friday. I've got to switch this venue. So like, I didn't care about the hotels. I didn't care about the transfers. I'm going to get a venue first. That's the first thing I'm going to do. So within 40 minutes, I had a venue confirmed, locked in, moved the entire show from London to Manchester before they got their press release out. That went out. And the next day, we spent the day switching hotels, moving all the flights, moving transport. And then we got to Manchester. We got everybody in, got everybody into the hotel. And then an announcement comes out. The day we just finished the weigh another announcement comes out. All venues and everything publicly stops. It's to close and stop operations. Stop operations at midnight, and that was Saturday on the twentieth. And I'm reading this news, and I'm like, midnight. <laughs> well, I'm going to have I'm going to have everybody in the arena at three p.m. The show is going to be finished at eleven p.m. Fuck them. We still got one hour, so we did it. We rushed everything. I changed the times just in case anything silly was to happen with any local uh, councils or anything. And I said, as long as I get this bus with all the fighters into this venue, we padlock the gates, put the chains on. Once that live, once that live TV broadcast goes live, that's it. No one's coming in. I secured the whole venue, secured the front gate, locked the gates with chains. Everyone was in the venue. Live broadcast went off. We were off air by 10.30, quarter to 11. The majority of people were home by midnight. Everything was stopped. We broke no laws. Everybody was safe. Not one person personally tested positive for COVID. The show went down like we said. Wow. That was a mad week. I bet it was. Is that, uh, is that your kind of proudest moment as, a, as Cage Warriors president? Or, or is there anything that tops that as in terms of like an achievement for someone in your position at that time? Or any time during your... Um, it was one of them. It was one, it was one of them. I mean, we took, we took 110 people to Chechnya for a show. We flew them to Dagestan, drove them across, um, drove them across the, the mountains into the night. <laughs> well, we were awake for 24 hours and took them into Chechnya and did a show for the president, Ranzam Karadov, and took everybody back. That was another challenging time. Um, was there a lot of local fighters there? We had a lot of local fighters there. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, the arena, the atmosphere was electric. It was an amazing time. Um, trying to convince the staff to go was another thing. Yeah. You know, I had 100 and something people to go. And on a, they were going onto the government website and it's advised not to travel there. And it's like, come on, guys, you wouldn't be, we're going to be okay. I'll bring you back safe. So we went there. Um, we did shows in Kiev and Ukraine. I think it was in January or February. And uh, it was minus 38 degrees. There was literally birds falling from the sky, dead. <laughs> it was that cold. <laughs> People slipping everywhere, trying to fight their way through snow to get to the event. Um, we've done shows in 
the desert <laughs> in Jordan and got stuck in a snowstorm. <laughs> you never believe that one. Where we've had the, the government come out with JCBs trying to get trying to get bus a bus out of, out of the snow. We ended up having to empty the bus where we all just finished the show. We have fighters and finished fighting all busted up and we're tracking across snow to get back to a hotel. Funny stories from there. But yeah, we've We've had some fun, man, over the years. There have been some funny stories and uh, some great, great adventures into different countries. Well, in, in regards to cities and fun, what, what, what's your favourite city to put an event on at? What always delivers the best crowds? Ah, that's a tough one, man. I mean, Paddy Pimmon at the Echo Arena was pretty yeah. insane. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that was his, his... When he first started to <clears throat> hit that rise... I think we did the Echo Arena. There must have been six plus thousand people in there. We weren't ready for that. We didn't have that type of security. I think you see, if you look around, you see, I mean, I was involved in one of the walkouts where I'm actually guarding Paddy with my hands up, walking walking down the, the, the walkway with the security, trying to keep the fans back from him. Um, so that, that's a pretty uh, electric, electric atmosphere. Dublin, Dublin, Ireland is another one, you know. That atmosphere with Connor was crazy um, when he won that when he won the double belt, and then we had Ian Gary gets that reception. Yeah, when we went to Cork recently, so be interesting to see how that fight turns out in a couple of weeks' time. To see, you know, does Ian become that welterweight champion? And you know, do, do we during these times does Ireland open up and do we get back to Dublin and give him a defence in Dublin where? I'm sure he would love to have. We'd love to do it for him. And if he's still with us, it could be something good. Yeah, I mean, we had Ian on recently, and I mean, he just seems to have that thing where you just go, he's, there's, it's, 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 it's that inexplicable thing where you go, oh, if you carry on training and winning and, and just putting the work in in the gym, that other thing is just going to take care of itself and you won't just be a fighter, you will be a star. You'll, you, you'll surpass so many people just through that, that personality, that inexplicable, indescribable essence of someone that they have where you just gravitate towards them. Yeah, 100%. He's, 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 de- he's definitely got the X factor um, and to date, he's fighting his back down. Yeah. You know, he took out a, on his last fight, he took out a, Ruslan, who's been in the UFC, who's never been, never been finished. The guy is just relentless. Yeah. And Ian, Ian made him look like an amateur. You know, to do, to do that at his level is pretty goddamn impressive. So it'd be interesting to see um, that fight against Jack. You know, I, I, saw him, I saw online in the week they were WhatsApping each other. Yeah. And then Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Because I actually look at it again, what the fuck is going on here? I'm, I'm watching the videos because I was like, very good. This is fun. That's great. This is fun. It's really engaging. Yeah. They're actually friends. They're, yeah. they're actually friends, you know, so that's a tough fight for both of them. But, you know, they're, they're professionals too, and they, they both know what's on the line. They both know that um, it's a high-risk, high high-reward high fight, right? So um, I'm sure they'll put the friendship aside for that 25 minutes. Absolutely. I'm sure, like, 
your job definitely you wouldn't describe your job as as boring at all it seems like it's constant <laughs> constantly stuff going on and something happened very recently that you had to deal with as well in terms of uh unfortunately jordan vigenic got injured yeah. and uh yeah. i think that was correct me if i'm wrong your headliner for uh the card on the 25th of june that kind of middle card in the trilogy yeah how how is it not just in that specific incident because i'm sure man yeah, again you'll correct me if i'm wrong but in a trilogy maybe it's easier to go oh we'll pull this fight from this card and just move it because it's only a day or or whatever it is yes but when you get a call and you've got a headline event and someone says to you graham so and so has had to pull out for injury and we're only two weeks away from the fight and you've now got to find another main event a What's your initial emotion to that? And B, what's the process like for trying to, to solve that problem? Okay. So there's, there's, a, there's a, few, a few ways we can go here with this. So one is we will always match two fights on the main card that can be a main event right. for that specific reason. So we, we'll, never be, <clears throat> we'll never be left... Um, we'll never be left sitting on our ass and such and go, fuck, I'm going to do We'll, we'll always look to have two fights on a main card that, ha- that can legitimately be a main event. So we can fall back, bump up the call main event, and then rematch who was in the main event if there's not somebody there to compete against them. Our first option is to obviously rematch the main event if we can get someone credible to take that spot. If not, it's a bump up. Um, the reaction to the phone call... I've been doing this a long time. It's just stone cold. It's like, I've got a saying, the MMA gods will do what they want to do and whatever they want to do, we have to respond to it. So if they want to pull the main event, they're going to pull the main event. And I say to the same guys, I say to the guys in the office, the same thing. When it comes to fight week, the Monday of fight week, there isn't a lot we can do with whatever happens. Whatever happens is in the hands of the MMA gods on fight week. Because you're running out of time. It's rare that you're going to get people who are medically cleared to be able to step in um, and fill last-minute spots of people, I don't know, get injured or fail some sort of medical test or late in the medicals or something happen. Um, we do have a database of medically cleared guys that we can call upon who want to get in. We would have a list of guys who would say... Uh, my training partner's on that car. I'm in camp with him. I'm going to be ready. I'm ready to step in on the last minute. So there, there, are, there are avenues that we can attack in, in, in different, different scenarios. And we're kind of covered 90% of the time. Um, the emotional side of that thing, for me, it's stone cold. I do two emotions. I do smiling or I do angry. That's it. I don't do stress. I just don't allow stress in, okay? So I'll either do angry because someone hasn't done their job and I'll fucking, I'll spit all sorts of language at them because I believe everybody in our team has a link in the chain that they're responsible for. We've been doing this a long time. You've got your link. You keep that link strong and the chain remains strong. You fuck up on that link, then you deal with my anger because I've trusted in you to keep hold of that link and keep that link strong. Our, our systems are solid. I don't need to speak to anybody on my team about anything unless there's a fuck-up. So you're I'm either smiling at you and laughing and joking, yeah. and I'm not a boss and we're not working, or I'm coming down on you like a fucking ton of bricks, one or the other. There's no in-between. There's no stress. 
we don't do stress because it only makes things worse. You can't fix anything once you start getting stressed out. You're not clear headed and you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We answered in a number of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's something that, that stresses me out whenever I watch it, and uh, it's just because I'm very uncoordinated, is uh, when you see promoters put the belts on the fighters <laughs> at the end of the, the fights. <laughs> Have you ever had any bad situations there? Because I'm watching it going, if that was me, I'd be like, oh no, he's just had a really <laughs> epic fight and I'm going to ruin his moment because I'm going to be all fingers and thumbs and put the belt on wrong and I'll probably have to just give up and hand it to him and like with my tail between my legs. Like, yeah. do you, I know it's a silly question, I know, but are you ever a bit nervous? Like, oh shit, I hope I don't fuck the belt up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it gets so so those belts they're they're push button clasped, right? And I've got to the point now, like if, if you go right back at the start, I couldn't get the buttons to close. And they would <laughs> be like like I'm going back now, it's probably 2000, 2011, probably, right? It's like trying to put the buttons on, they wouldn't close. It's like fucking these buttons. I gotta do something about these buttons. But they would be like Hands are up. I'm putting the belt around, and they're like, they want, they want to go and jump yeah. and hug the teammates, and I'm like chasing after them, right? <laughs> to tie the fucking belt. So, so over the years, what what I do now, and you probably see it on camera as well. Um, as soon as I throw that belt around their waist, I pull them back to me, and I just whisper in their ear, "Don't fucking move." <laughs> You can ask anyone, I'll tell them, don't move, don't move, give me a second, don't move. And then I'm like trying to get the buttons on and click them together. And some of them will hear me, some of them won't. They try and walk off and it's time. I just have to pull her off again, put her over their shoulder because the emotions they're going through, you don't know what's yeah. going to come out of the mouth or what they're going to do. They're just fucking everywhere, right? Um, but yeah. It's it's a tricky one. Maybe I'm going to get you to give one of the belts of the trilogy. Oh God! Don't... <laughs> I'm so nervous. <laughs> maybe we got to maybe we got to face your fears. Oh, maybe we got to no. get you down to put, put the belt on one of them. We can have a we can have the fans vote which one you should put the belt on. Oh God. Yeah, that's going to be a real... After The Rock did it for the BMF belt, I think this is a real plummet. (laughs) (laughs) The the UFC had The Rock. Cage Warriors has got Blake and Stu. (laughs) Oh, no, this this has gone very downhill. They've got no budget. Those those belts, so those belts are worth about probably some five grand, right? And they're pretty heavy, super heavy. And they've got very sharp edges. So anytime I chuck it around the fighter's waist, I'm like, the main thing that I'm concerned about here is that I've got to hold the belt till I know it's secure. So I've got two sides of it. I'm 
pulled, you know, pulled their waist into me. They can't move. And I'm clipping these clasps together. Because if one of them comes off and that belt goes down the floor, they're barefooted. That's the belt stuck in their foot. Because like I said, there's sharp edges on that belt. So it's like, that, that goes through my head sometimes. I don't care what anything else I'm like, just don't put the belt on their foot. Can you imagine that waist, someone loses like, a toe? There's a bit of weight. Like, there's, a, there's, a toe, there's a toe just in the, in the ring after the, in the octagon afterwards because the belt has come down on a toe. That, you would have thought the danger's over by that point and little did they know they've won the belt and Graham's like dicing with their toes. <laughs> here's, the, here's the belt, man. I'm just going to go find your toe. Give me five minutes. <laughs> Uh, I'm so glad I asked that question. You won't be when you're putting the belt on. <laughs> oh, incredible. Um, just a, a, a couple of things. Um, obviously, we don't want to take up too much of your time, Graham. Um, but it, it's inevitable that it's, it's all over all the MMA forums and things like that, which is this bizarre thing that we're seeing now of, of fighters fighting people that have YouTube channels that have notoriety and, and big followings and there's big money being thrown around uh, in that. And obviously we've seen the Woodley fight being announced. Just wonder what your, your take is on where this, where, what, what, what you make of it and where you think it's going to go. Oh. So I think it's great for the guys who are actually getting those fights against these YouTubers and celebrities and, because it's driving numbers, right? And they're, they're getting paid big money to do so. Um, what I personally don't like about it is that it's being portrayed as a real fight. And I'm a little bit skeptical about whether and how real these fights actually are, you know? Um, but, you know, it's bringing eyeballs to fighting. It's bringing eyeballs to combat sports. It definitely is a circus, um, but I'm convinced there is some kind of WWE play, um, and it, it's not as real as they're making it out to be, um, <clears throat> because it take, take the Ben uh, Paul fight, Ben Askin Paul fight. Ben's been hit by some pretty solid guys. Um, in his career. Um, and he wasn't too pushed. He's, he has his paycheck. He's done. Floyd, Floyd could have taken the other burrow last night at any time he wanted. That fight could have been done in 30 seconds. It's playtime and it's money. And, you know, all, all hats off to anyone that's making money and making bread. If you're making bank, all hats off to you how you do. You know, the, the, perception of it, I think, for teenagers and everybody else growing up is, that's the only thing about me, is they, they, they need to make them exhibition and put across more that they're exhibition fights and it's yeah. not really a professional high standard scrap because I think it's a little bit of a mockery of profiles um, for the work that they put in, for that to be classed as or looked upon or sold as a professional fight. Um, but again, you know, there's, I mean, there's stories being told, there's setups being organized. It's not real, it's not as real as it gets. Um, but at the same time, people are making bank, and if you can make bank and pay bills and look after your family, all good to you. All good to you. 
You know, that's just the way it's was my humble opinion on it. You know, yeah. I'm yeah. sure anybody else has their opinion on it. Um, some people will love it, some people will hate it. Others will find other avenues to scream at it for some reason, mm. but that, that's just my view. Well, lastly, and unless Blake, you've got any more questions. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I could talk to you all day, but I'm wary of your time. You're a very busy man, so you go, Stu. You're good. You're good. You're good. I, I just want to say, Graham, that obviously, like what you've done in in, in the period of time that you've you, you've been in the world of um, MMA uh, has been incredible. And so, where's it going to go next? Where are you going to take this? What's the plans? Well, we're taking it to California in August for the next. <laughs> 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 we'll do. Um... I think we're just going to carry on building what we're doing. We're going to step the, the shows up. I mean, we've been the only mixed martial arts organization running throughout this entire pandemic. Every every other organization in in the UK and probably most of Europe hasn't been running as much as we have. Um, so our, our guys have been kept busy the whole time and we're going to carry on doing, we'll probably do another trilogy in September. And then after that, we're going to look to try and get back to monthly regular shows rather than a trilogy every quarter. Um, and once we get back to monthly regular shows, we try and set that up so that every second month is two shows, every other month one. So we try and get that up to about 18, 20 shows a year. And that would be between the US and Europe. And then we work on building, um, getting that California stable signed and ready to go. Um, and the European guys ready to come steaming in the battleships and vice versa. We let them come across the border to come across their battleships to do their wars over there. So um, I think we're in for some great fights, some fun storylines. And um, yeah, about 18 to 20, maybe 24 shows a year moving forward. That sounds so exciting. And uh, obviously the uh, Cage Warriors trilogy coming up from the 24th to the 26th of June is all going to be available on UFC Fight Pass. Um, is there any, because I know you had the, the BT Sport deal a little while back as well, is, is there any kind of movement? Because I know you've got, um, you're out across Europe and other places and all that. But I suppose unless you are a, a diehard MMA fan and you've got the UFC Fight Pass, then it's trickier to, to watch uh, the events. Is there a movement to kind of do, like I know Bellator recently have done the, the BBC iPlayer thing and, and, and obviously UFC's on BT Sport. Is there any movement to kind of get it somewhere else in the UK so that people that don't have Fight Pass can access it? Or is it, no, Fight Pass is it's the kind of mainstream audience for us because it's the diehard fans. Yeah, it, kind of, it comes down to TV rights negotiations and there's a, there's a lot of them. Yeah. There's a lot of them going on at the moment. Um, and the, the UFC have UK and Republic of Ireland exclusive rights. And then other countries where we would have terrestrial TV, the UFC uh, Fight Pass don't have the exclusive rights. It's a shared thing. So you may see more of a shared basis coming up um, towards the end of the year. Um, certainly conversations that are ongoing um, in contract negotiations to try and make that work. But we, we've all, we also put the prelims on our Facebook pages so we'll probably go live on Cage Warriors Facebook um, for the prelims. And then we'll probably do a couple of one or two main card fights on, on our Facebook stuff. So all that's getting ironed out. Yep. The, the tricky part about all that is 
is, is the rights negotiation, TV rights, contracts, and who gets what rights, where and when. It's an absolute minefield to sort of yeah. uh, in this business, you know. Um, people think putting the fights on is the hard thing. Pleasing the broadcasters is another hard thing. You know, you've got someone in France shouting at you for this time start. you got someone in Sweden asking you for this time. you got someone in Taiwan saying this doesn't work with our time zone and you're trying to trying to juggle all these boards up when you got a fighter over here saying, I'm yeah. going to bust you up if you don't get me this fight. And you're like, hey, whoa. <laughs> so it's, 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 an, it's an ongoing um, put one fire out and just as you sit back over your shoulders, five more fires start. And uh, yeah. yeah, we're constantly running around the fire extinguisher. <laughs> as we said it's not boring the one thing it's not is boring um but no that is so exciting graham thank you you so much for your time it's so great to have your like unique perspective and experience on this show we're we're really uh we're honored to to have you on the show mr president thank you you very much thank you for having me on thanks loads graham good to chat to you guys all best thank you mate. all right take care boys have a good day Oh, what a good chat that was. Mate, what an insight. Like, That's so interesting. Yeah. I, I, I'm i not going to lie. I was slightly nervous about <laughs> this interview because I just, I don't know. I think I concocted um, like an, an image or, or what he would be like in my head. Yeah. And I thought he would be quite stern mm. and like not very kind of humorous at all yeah. I, I, I don't know why I, I concocted that image in my head of like the fight promoter that's probably quite a tough guy yeah and he was just really nice and he had a smile on his face a lot of the time and you know I'm sure he's got some amazing stories that he probably <laughs> wouldn't have wanted to <laughs> yeah. get into but he talked about going to Chechnya and, and like Dagestan and uh and all these things it's absolutely mental and, and what you had to do during the pandemic to to make things work but obviously keeping it safe mm. keeping it legal uh, but obviously he's thinking about these young fighters and, and, and other the, the crew that work as well the yeah. staff that work at Cage Warriors that you know they need their their, their paychecks and stuff mm. I mean it's, it's all very complicated stuff and, and he seems to have dealt with it incredibly well and I, I can really see again we've not interviewed Dana White but you get a real idea of what Dana's like mm. from his press conferences and all that. I can really see why the two of them would have a good relationship yeah. and get on. Because yeah. they seem to be people that, they're hard workers. Yeah, They really work hard. And I really feel like, from his experience, Graham feels to me like he's got the the best interests of his fighters at heart. And he wants to do what's right for them. And... That is just so lovely to see for someone in his position because I'm sure, as he mentioned, those Facebook managers, there's lots of fight promoters throughout, you know, both MMA and boxing that are just about the money. And And, haven't signed over 100 fighters to the UFC. I mean, over, I did not know it was anywhere near that figure. That's absolutely incredible. And yeah, yeah, I, 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 I just thought it was a real interesting sort of peek behind the curtain yeah. you know of, of how these things are put together uh, and you know the thought at any you know there was a point where there's three phones buzzing on his desk yeah. I mean like how do you stay on top of that and I, I really liked um, when I asked him like um, 
about what's an average day. I liked the way it was a case of I do this, then I have a run. Then I do this, then I train. Yeah. Then England goes to bed and I can kind of work my way through. And it was just like that kind of practice I thought was really, really good. And yeah, I just thought it was just... I didn't know what to expect. Um, I really didn't. I'd watched a few interviews uh, with Graham on YouTube. Uh, and and yeah, and I sort of, as we put together the questions and obviously for those that want to know obviously Blake you put questions together I put questions together before the interview me and you chat about what questions we've got and we generally you know manage to get all the questions out if we've got the time with the with the guests which we've done today and just didn't disappoint every answer was well thought out interesting concise like and yeah and just like I say a real interesting little look behind the curtain of uh, of Cage Warriors Absolutely, absolutely. And obviously, this is all part of our Cage Warriors trilogy specials. The Cage Warriors trilogy starts on the 24th of June. Then there's another card on the 25th and another card on the 26th. I believe that the um, the first two cards are Thursday and Friday night. I think there's something like six something prelims, 9pm main card, all on UFC Fight Pass. But the Saturday card, I believe, is a 1pm prelim 3 p.m or 3 30 main cards something like that if you go on the cage warriors websites you'll find out for sure but the saturday cards like an afternoon card and i think the reason behind that is that they are gonna play that on ufc fight pass and then immediately after their card is finished saturday kind of uh, early evening uk time or, or, or whatever uh, then the UFC card on that day. I don't know what card it will be, but there'll be a UFC card that comes straight on after that. No on UFC one will be Pass. watching that, mate. They'll all be re-watching you putting the belt badly around someone's waist, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? I would shit myself. Oh, as he was saying, I, would, I was thinking, I said, mate, that so happen. I want, and I, I, I like the fact that you went, yeah, and then it's going to be Blake and Stu. I was thinking, fuck off, it's Blake. You're the famous one. <laughs> You're doing it. I'm going to be there with my phone in my hand filming it laughing my ass off mate the thing is I was like I was like the, the prospect of it which it won't happen by the way but the prospect of it is nerve wracking enough because of how much it means to the fighter and imagine yeah. if you're messing that up and they're just like can you please just hurry the hell up so that I can go and celebrate and you're then I'm so sorry I'm so sorry um, and, but then on top of that saying if you don't do it up properly like it's sharp edges it's going to land on someone's foot and do some damage yeah lose a toe kill their career oh my (laughs) god can you imagine can you imagine I think it's such a good idea for you to do that I think that would be uh, brilliant for the podcast brilliant for the viewers of Cage Warriors you know uh, we, we, we spoke to some of the fighters you know we spoke to one of the fighters that's fighting for the belt I'm sure he'd absolutely love you to give him uh, to wrap that belt round his hands I for one think it's an amazing idea Blake yeah I think Jack Grant and Ian Gary would be more nervous about me wrapping the belt round them than they would about fighting each other so uh, oh, let's brilliant. Let's not push that narrative anymore. Um, look, you all know it's part of the Cage Warriors trilogy. You know now where to watch yeah. it. it. Genuinely, there's going to be some really great fights on that card. I cannot wait. If we can get to go to even just one of those cards, I'll be super happy. Oh God, I mean, maybe we'll push to go to more. I don't know. We're, we're in with the boss now. We are, so mate. We'll be all right. We we're are. in with the boss. Um, but yeah, that's so exciting. And uh, obviously, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, go back and check out our our back catalogue of other interviews that we've done with a variety of not only Cage Warriors, but UFC and Bellator fighters as well. Like, give them an example of who we've had on, Stu. 
um, in regards to um, <coughs> Bellator, Brett Johns, um, and also, uh, I mean, we'll rattle off the UFC fighters, but another really interesting episode that gave you that gives you a sort of peek behind the curtains when we had John Gooden on, mm. um, the, the UFC commentator. He gives you a really good kind of breakdown of like what goes on, you know, behind the scenes to ensure that. You know, you get to hear the commentators doing what they do. That's that was really, really good. And and, and on the UFC tip, we've had JoJo Calderwood. Um, I imagine it's out by now. Um, UFC champ uh, Alexander the Great Volkanovski. Um, and yeah, um, there's uh, a fight. Um, there's a fighter who done okay in Cage Warriors, and there's rumours that he's going to do something in UFC. I'm, of course, talking about Paddy the Baddy Pimlet, um, superstar in the making. Uh, we had a great chat with Paddy um, a few weeks back. Um, also, his uh, campmate, Molly uh, Meeple McCann. Uh, who else? Angela Hill, UFC. Yes, I don't know if that's coming out yet, but that Angela Hill, uh, uh, first uh, ever African-American woman inside the UFC. That's a fantastic chat. We've also had Arnold Allen, uh, uh, Jack Shaw, uh, JJ Wilson from Bellator, which was a fantastic oh, chat as well, because chat. he's, you know, survived an arm... Yeah, legit superhero, survived an arm robbery, swims with sharks, can hold his breath for over four <laughs> minutes, and he's an undefeated fighter. I mean, this is mental. Um, so, yeah, there's loads of them, loads of them out there. Uh, go and check out the back catalogue of stuff, because as you may have heard from some of this, these, stuff, these things don't age. It's not like we're talking about their upcoming fight or their fight that has just gone. We talk about their career as a whole, what motivates them, their, their dealings with, 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 with social media, how they got into MMA, uh, anything that kind of like how they overcome adversity, all of those things that I think can be really inspiring for people. So yeah, they're great interviews to check out. So check those out when you get a chance. Yes, subscribe. That's the easiest way. Then you don't miss anything. Um, and also we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow. Just search MMA Fan Podcast. We try and keep ourselves pretty um, up to speed and putting out regular content over on all of them platforms. So, yeah, give us a like, love, share, retweet, all that stuff. And we'll be back next time. We will be back next time. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. A lot of BS. <laughs>